Good day, good evening, and good streaming. Jello Biafra, Renegade Roundtable, and Vic Bondi, who you might know from Articles of Faith, you might know from Jones Very, or a, a later band called Report Suspicious Activity with Jay Robbins from Jawbox and recording studio and producer engineer character of uh, some fame and uh and now another one called uh good god what's happening to my brain i knew it early redshift that music didn't even get included in our first hour which was all mainly music and the evolution and growth of this man who i now find out wrote four history books reference books that are still available on amazon and all and then i don't hear from him for a while and the next thing i find out no longer the brilliant but greatly underpaid lower echelon history professor at the University of New Hampshire, but all of a sudden you're working for Microsoft and you're not a lowly employee anymore. How did you vault from lowly history professor to being in charge of their huge important program at Microsoft that they didn't just have you part of, but as you told me, they put you in charge of it. Uh, well, they, the things that I was in charge of at Microsoft, I, I, I don't know. Uh, I was in charge of a couple of major projects. So one was this project in Carta Language Learning, which I was kind of the, the content lead on that. That was in my first uh, round at Microsoft. From, uh, from 1995 to 2002, I worked at Microsoft. I was in the Encarta group and I did, I did a lot of, I did, what two or three versions of Encarta Encyclopedia, and then I did. Um, what is that? Uh, Encarta Encyclopedia was a digital encyclopedia. So before Wikipedia, uh, Encarta was the first CD-ROM-based uh, encyclopedia, and it was a Microsoft product, and it was it was awesome. I mean, it was a really cool, really cool product, and uh, we we tried to spin that out into a, a bunch of educational products, but they didn't really take off. And it, it really was a little bit at, at variance with Microsoft's main software mission. So it, it didn't quite $245 million product, but like, yeah, it didn't quite make enough money for Microsoft. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I see. So you were in charge of the history curriculum part or more than just that? At Encarta, I was in charge of the, what, what they called features. So uh, I was hired to, so Encarta at the time there were two huge brands of it used to be that encyclopedias were sold door to door as books to folks and you would buy these you know 24 25 volume encyclopedia series for three to five hundred dollars and um it was kind of a, a mark of middle class prestige to have that in your house and encarta took all of that and put it on a cd-rom disc and made it super available but encarta didn't have the brand equity compared to encyclopedia britannica or world book which were the two big brands that People were sold door to door. And so Microsoft knew that sooner or later, Britannica and Worldbook would come out with their own CD-ROM. So I was hired to create features that nobody else had ever done uh, on, on that CD-ROM and to use the technology that we had at Microsoft to do really unique things. There are things that are really common today, technically, but in those days they were groundbreaking. So, and it wasn't just me; it was me and a um, a really great developer named Mark Truluck and a really good designer named Bill Flora, fantastic designer named Bill Flora. We came up with things like um, we had this thing in Encarta called virtual tour tours. You would you were in the space shuttle cockpit and you could spin around this this whole three D. Uh, photograph stuff was a brand new technology in 1995 and 96. We introduced it to the world and you could click on stuff and we tell you about what these controls do in the space shuttle and you could click and you could go back into the um, laboratory. And um, so I, I couldn't, me and Bill conceived of this, Mark coded it and we put stuff like that in the product that our competitors didn't have. And so my job was to every year just to come up with some new idea like that that other people had not done. I, I came up with this other thing called interactivities. Uh, it used an old application called Director to do things like you could assemble an, an ant's body. And as you assembled the ant's body on this stage, uh, it would tell you what the thorax was for and what the mandibles were for and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, the, the thing was, I, I had this blank check to create computer-based interactive learning tools for people. And it was just phenomenal. It was exciting. It was really exciting. Wow. 
Well, what made you leave then? Uh, well, so, you know, I, I, I got hired in, in 95, uh, a, a little bit in a fluke, right? Like, I, so I'd written those books that we were talking about. A colleague at the University of New Hampshire is like, he got a call from Microsoft and they said they were going to do, they were going to do a history product. And did they know anybody who had an encyclopedic knowledge of 20th century history? And they're like, well, my friend Vic just wrote a bunch of encyclopedias. So he'd probably be a good source, right? So I came out here and uh, I had this amazing two weeks with these, these teams. And um, we conceived of this 20th century history CD-ROM. And then I went back to Boston and my mind was blown because I, I, I didn't know that much about computers. And what they were doing with computers was really mind blowing. Then I got a call two weeks later from the PM and, and he's like, the program manager for the project. And he's, he's, he says, uh, I got good news and bad news for you. I'm like, well, what's the bad news? They've canceled the project. Oh, what's the good news? They really like you. They want you to come back and interview for a job. And I'm like, well, I don't know that much about computers. And they're like, he's like, they don't care. <laughs> they're like, you'll learn, you'll learn. And so I did, I did two days of interviews out here and, uh, uh, then I went back to Boston and I, I wait and I told them, I told the recruiter, Elliot, I'm like, look, man, you gotta, I was going to teach at the university of new, uh, university of Boston, um, university of Massachusetts at Boston that fall. And I'm like, you know, if you're going to make me a job offer, you need to do it before I start teaching. Cause once I teach, I can't quit. And they didn't get a hold of me. They didn't get in touch with me. And so my girlfriend and I went out to Provincetown for labor day. And then when we got back, my phone machine was filled with all these messages Hey, it's Elliot from Microsoft. I wanted to let you know everybody loves you. We want to hire you at Microsoft. Beep. Hey, it's Elliot. You didn't get back to me. I want to let you know that as part of your comp package, we're going to give you 2,000 shares of stock. Beep. Hey, it's Elliot. You didn't get back to me. I want to let you know that on top of the 2,000 shares we talked about, we'll give you another 2,000 shares. We really want you to come to Microsoft. So my phone machine negotiated my entire entry into Microsoft. And so then... Uh, uh, on Labor Day, 1995, I accepted, and on, on October 6, 1995, I started, and then on October 8th, I had dinner with Bill Gates. That was that was the, that was the sequence. And you didn't dose his food. Well, in those days, in those days, Bill made a. Uh, I I didn't personally have dinner with Bill Gates. In those days, Bill would take like 20 people who had just been hired at the company and you have dinner with all 20 of you. And it was, but that was the first time I met him. And um, that was pretty great to meet the richest guy in the world. And he had, he had just come back from Singapore and he was talking about internet security. That was big on his mind and identity management. And uh, I mean, Bill Gates, he, Bill Gates is a very interesting, I've never met a least a less charismatic person. He's not a charismatic guy at all. He kind of slouches and, you know, there were all sorts of stories yeah. about about Bill. Um, he's really very into computers. He's really a geek. But because he became the Lizzie Borden, the board, you know, the Carnation Instant Milk character, he was the brand symbol of the company. They had to do all this work to teach him how to be that brand symbol. So there were legendary stories at Microsoft about how they taught him to adjust his glasses. So he used to do this to adjust his glasses, and they taught him to do this. Oh, I see. Because I you look so much more intelligent that way. Right. Uh, uh, uh. Um, but he was, he was, the, the, the company was, it was a, you know, 1995 Microsoft was probably the most powerful company in the world and certainly the richest. Uh, it, it was astonishing the latitude they gave me as a person who knew very little about computers. Now, you know, also at the time they, 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 they placed a lot of value in upskilling everybody. So I took class after class after class in all sorts of computer programs and programming, project management, business management. I mean, it was effectively a master's in business administration that I got in my first two or three years at, at Microsoft. And uh, uh, then I left the company in, in 2002. I did, I did a education company in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania called Carnegie Learning. Uh, and they're still in existence today. We can come back and talk about them because that's when I started my experience with artificial intelligence. I went to New York and I did another company called Platform Learning. They went bankrupt. Uh, and then I went back to Microsoft in 2006 or 2007, and I worked there till 2012. In the second incarnation, I was the general manager of MSN Engineering. So depending upon the, the period, either all the engineers at MSN were reporting to me 
except the homepage or all the PMs at MSN were reporting on to me, depending upon the period. So yeah, they were, they were pretty, pretty intense. <laughs> a lot of response, there was a lot of responsibility, you know, there was multi-million dollar budgets. Uh, you know, when I was in at MSN, it was, uh, we had teams all over the world. Uh, so I was in China, India quite a bit and, and, and England, Europe, Germany, Italy, and you name it, um, Japan. So, you know, I, I will say like, I have all sorts of things. We could talk all night about my experience in corporate America and my perspective on it as a consequence of that. Uh, I have worked at other companies, obviously, but, you know, Microsoft was pretty formative, 15 years total at Microsoft. So at some point you went back to Microsoft too. Yeah, I did. I did. I didn't. In in, uh, 2020, when the pandemic hit, I was working for Mercedes Benz. I was doing software compliance for them. There's a, there's a big, there's a big problem with any any interface between the physical world and the software world that the the standards and the practices in software are not really designed to cross into the physical space where safety is paramount and super important. And so I was working at the intersection of software and the physical cars at Mercedes. But when the pandemic hit in 2020, they, you know, they shuttered all the factories and then they just let everybody go. And then I went back, but I went back to Microsoft that year and I did one more project at Microsoft for uh, Microsoft.com. So anyway, I did I, I did 15 years total at Microsoft, and um, I didn't really work in AI at Microsoft. I I I worked at MSN. We did a lot of search, which are precursor to AI. And at um, Carnegie Learning uh, was the first time I encountered scientists who were working with AI. So Carnegie Learning had a proprietary software package that had come out of Carnegie Mellon. We were taking that proprietary software and we were turning it into an algebra tutor, basically, for students. There was a, a scientist there, Stephen Ritter, who had come from Carnegie. He, he was the first guy to start talking to me about artificial intelligence. And at the time, I was pretty skeptical about artificial intelligence because I didn't, I don't. I, th I think there's been worries about some of what this stuff can do or people can do with it long before what's going on now. I mean, even... Um, in the mid uh, first decade of, of the 21st century, there was starting to be obvious that you could do really, really effective photoshopping and stuff. And it wasn't just obviously putting Anne Margaret's legs on Oprah, Win Oprah Winfrey's head on Anne Margaret's body to make Oprah more attractive on the cover of TV Guide so people would buy it for Anne Margaret's legs. I don't know. But um, and so that when I was doing stuff with the Melvins, there's a song on the second album, Sig Howdy, that was called Holy Bible, W-H-O-L-L-Y and then B-U-Y and then B-U-L-L. Six bass guitars, no guitars on. But the important part is it was about Photoshop and how easy it is to fa fall for some of this. And especially when I saw an example of it, I think in a news magazine, a full color, quote unquote, news photo. And there was Abe Lincoln having dinner with Muammar Gaddafi in a restaurant, and it looked totally real. And I thought, oh, shit, where can we go with this? You can frame people for crimes. You can do this. You can do that. And you can, of course, hornswoggle people into believing things are true when they are not true. And now, you know, not just... Uh, self-driving cars, self-driving themselves where they're not supposed to go and blocking ambulances, fire trucks, ran over somebody and dragged them in San Francisco, drove into wet cement another time. Anyway, we'll get to that in a minute. Basically, at this point, yeah, they're calling it AI. They're calling it artificial intelligence. It's not just an obscure Spielberg movie anymore. It's something both of people running for powerful positions instead of the ones in the really powerful positions who finance and control those people running for powerful positions. This is not as big an issue as it ought to be, in part because a lot of people can't get their heads around it, their hands around it. Okay, what was she, should we do about AI? Well, about what? What part of it? So at this point, let's start on your outline that you sent me, the, the AI part. That seems to be the best way to help open the, peel the onion for all of us as to what exactly is it and how is it working these days? So if you use a search engine or, so when you go on Amazon and you buy stuff, 
And then you get a bunch of recommendations for other stuff later on. That's AI effectively. When you go to Netflix and you select a movie and then it recommends a bunch of other movies for you, that's also AI. So and also surveillance of the customer too. Yeah, well, let's let's come to that because there's there's some really terrifying stuff around that. What right. what let let's start with this then. Um, speaking of AI for dummies, and you're speaking to one of the dumbest people you'll ever speak to about this stuff, as you know. But uh, anyway, um, for everybody out there who may think they kind of know what it means but don't necessarily know what it means, especially in what how it's used in technology today. What is an algorithm? An algorithm is a, a code. It's a piece of code that defines an outcome for something, right? That takes some input and then determines an output on the basis of that input. That's an algorithm. So, um, you know, when you... When you press record on this application, you know, there's an algorithm behind it that says, that says, okay, I understand there's an event that's happened in this interface here. I want this. That means that I need to execute this here, which means I need to store this information here. So it will call a chain of relationships into being based upon an act. That's not artificial intelligence. And, and I'm sure the purists who are listening, the guys who actually know something about tech will say... When I say a search engine or a recommendation engine is AI, it's not. But my big point is a lot of the things that people call AI are derivations of stuff that you're already super familiar with. The way that they're built is not radically different. So the way that chat GPT is built isn't radically different than the recommendation engine in Netflix. The algorithm in, in, in Netflix says, I've watched a movie. That movie has a bunch of characteristics. You know, it's got a star. It's got a, it's got a type as a genre. I'm going to store all that information. And once I have that information and I see that you've liked it and you've maybe you've even gone in afterwards and you've given it four stars or five stars, now it says the algorithm will parse that input and it will say, based on that input, I'm going to recommend these other similarly tagged, similarly variableized objects to you. So that's that's simply how it works. So we need to rewind a little bit with algorithms to make the point with a little bit with mine. I mean, the, the, for a while, I was getting a little bit of the Apple News Plus feed to get more stuff on. They kept recommending and things. Oh, here's some. Maybe you'll like this one, like The Blaze, which is Glenn Beck, like Rush Limbaugh, like Fox News this and Fox News that. And how about the bulwark then? Yeah. They weren't recommending things for readers of the British Guardian or what's left of so-called HuffPost or whatever. They kept throwing that at me and I kept blocking them and blocking them and blocking them. But of course, you extend that past Apple News to Facebook, Twitter, now X, and all the other ones that have so much toxic content that screws so many things up now. That, and, and it's all in part because these algorithms, but they people always complain too that Facebook and uh, Twitter X in particular, among the others, kept, keeps trying to throw other things in to steer my reading and checking out this stuff to more extreme right-wing propaganda, as well as cyberbullying of kids and objectifying bodies and all the stuff that Instagram has done to mess up teenagers, particularly teenage girls. Well, I think adults get that, get their the body shame too. But the point being, I guess what I'm getting to is it should be a much bigger issue and outrage that nobody from the great coelacanth, as I call President Biden or the Bidenoid on down, have tried to use law, the legislation or legal action to crack open Facebook. I keep thinking Microsoft now, and the other real big offenders, their algorithms. They're really, really possessive of those for obvious reasons. But then if we could peel them open and people understand as well as you and all colleagues and other people you know do, how they could then be fixed so they did not talk 
create so many more neo-Nazis, so many more bigots, and so many people shaming other people in their classes at school, sometimes resulting in suicide or school shootings. Actually, there's got to be a way to make resulting in that. Yeah. What's that? Often resulting in. It. Yeah. In, in other in other words, um, you know, I guess the word I'm looking for, correct me if I'm wrong, is it's time these algorithms were open fucking source so that other people can help fix them because the Zuckerbergs and uh, the stench of musk all over the place, they don't want to fix it. Yeah. So let's let's set Musk aside for a minute because Musk, Musk, Musk is kind of an idiot and he doesn't really know that much about software. The algorithms that, that you're talking about, those algorithms, the reason that you get fed so much them. extreme bullshit in your Facebook feed, right, is because the algorithm has identified you as kind of an extremist of some type. It not, doesn't, doesn't necessarily take it from the left or the right. In other words, you're not, you're not getting Bengals uh, scorecards and you're not, you know, dialing up queries on Taylor Swift, right? So the, the algorithm that you're working through has defined you as a consumer of hyper-politic content. So you're going to see a lot of that. It's 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 political character is probably wrong for you, but the algorithm isn't that good. In other words, the reason that you're getting that is not because Zuckerberg wants to turn you into a Nazi, but because Zuckerberg and his team write pretty shitty code and they can't quite get this right. So and the reason that there's so much right wing shit is because these algorithms tend to weight this stuff heavily around popularity and use. And what, what is going on behind the scenes is some of these right-wing guys, I mean, I swear to you, these right-wingers are sitting in their basement and all they're doing all day is bitching about blacks and gays and liberals, and they're finding more content to just chew, feed the hate, man. They're just, they're just online to troll and rip and fuck with people, and I don't know whether their lives are sad and impoverished and they're fucked up people, but... They consume a lot of this. And what happens is because the algorithms are weighted towards popularity, what Facebook and Twitter and Microsoft and Google want from you is your attention 24 hours a day. So what they're going to try and do, their algorithms are tuned to try and get you to whatever you like to do. They want you to do more of it. Right. And that's why you're getting all that shit. But they, it also seems like, okay, they want, they kind of think what you like to, they want you to do more of it, but it also seems like they kind of, you know, the Peter Thiel venture capital money might dry up if they steer people towards a little more socially conscious direction, even if they're angry, instead of trying to make people angrier and angrier in a certain way and just behaving more and more like like real bad bullying children that way like my girlfriend put up something somewhere locally in Alameda California in her neighborhood that she was really asking people who walk their dogs to please stop throwing your bags of dog shit in our garbage cans when we put them out to have the trash taken away or just leaving them there so we'll put them in the garbage cans. Take care of your own shit. And she got threats of violence. We know where you live. You know, look at what you think you're doing, bitch, blah, 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 blah. You deserve to have this happen to you. You deserve that happen to you. Just because... She and she wasn't alone. It's tired of people just dropping their dog shit in other people's garbage cans or outside their garbage cans. Yeah, which isn't very cool. No, and and but see the thing is like the algorithm cared for her physical well being for a while. Well, and this is happening because of these anonymous people who wouldn't even do chicken shit to even say their own names. Dude, they were going to kidnap the governor of Michigan and kill her, man. Oh yeah, you know like. I don't want to tell you. It's like the, the the issue is you're in a very negative feedback loop here, right? Like the reason that you get so much poisonous content is because so many people out there are consuming it at really high levels. The algorithms look across a really wide swath of population and they say, what is the most popular based on whatever my population set is? Now, in, in truth, it's not the entire world and lots of people don't do that much on social media. But the people that do tend to be almost obsessive about it, addicted to it, right? 
which is why I the my, the Jellabia for Facebook and all the rest they're run out of the alternative tentacles office. I give I send in contributions from time to time, but I've never looked at it. Yeah, I've never read read all the all the stuff coming back. I mean, there's only been a couple times when the staff has said, look, there's something you really need to see that's coming in here. And one of them was an attempt to cancel me by uh, an ex and whatnot. And the doing nothing turned out to be the exact right thing to do. But the other one was the scarier one where right after Dirty Donnie Trumpelmuck announced for president and went down the gold staircase in 2015, I did one of my What Would Jello Do rant cast, pointing out with evidence I already had of what a goddamn racist and a bigot and a gangster he really was. And for crying out loud, stay away from this guy. Because I think I did it after he immediately jumped to the top of the Republican contenders polls in that particular clown car. He had over 20% instantly. And I thought, this is really dangerous. But then what came back was, good. doesn't, doesn't Jell-O really punk is Trump? Trump is punk, man. Trump is the new punk. Is Jello just too old? What is he? Some kind of Muslim now was another one. He should just shut up. He's just too old. He always complains. He's a Muslim. He's this, he's that. And that was coming in back at me. Yeah. People who had checked out my what would Jello do, not what would Glenn Beck do or what would the Proud Boys do. It would be it was mine, and they were doing that anyway. And I thought, oh shit, this guy could win. Well, I mean, the, you know, the thing about these, the, the way that people respond to folks online, I, 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 I'm not sure they would respond that way in real life, right? That the virtual character of virtual reality means that it costs very little to opine an asinine opinion, right? You can just post shit all day. Now we actually have people who all they're doing, they're making their career as basically shit posters and loudmouths. You know, Donald right. Trump really, that's, that's all he really is. He's just a guy that just shoots his fucking mouth off. And Vivek Ramaswamy loved watching him fire people. That was the main yeah. thing. Well, and, and Vivek, that's all he does. He has no, he has no portfolio other than I'm going to talk shit all day long. Right. Because in some ways, this, the devices that we've developed here, these social media devices have lowered the cost of an opinion. And, and so many of them are anonymous that, you know, literally people are saying shit they would never say in real life uh, because they're hiding behind a wall of pixels, right. you know, right. and the algorithm, but the algorithm can't discriminate that, right? The algorithm is, is stupid. The algorithm is a machine and the machine has no nuance. The machine has no consciousness. This is, this is one of the things about AI that people should feel a little bit more comfortable with AI because there is no consciousness in AI. There's no consciousness in machine learning. These are a set of routines and functions that are encoded in snippets of articulated programs and are run on silicon wafers and, resu and result in a one and a zero. There's nothing imminent in them. There's nothing of the soul in there. There's no extraterrestrial alien intelligence in it. They are machines. They're like lawnmowers. You know, you just, you pull the cord and it cuts. Well, people, I think, including you, when you called me a Luddite earlier on, when we first went on screen, which is a little bit off base, you're anti-technology. Well, come on, man, you can embrace no. that. Those no. guys were motherfuckers, the Luddite. Yeah. Oh, I know. But the point being that, and now it's used as a slur, but anyway, um, by people don't, who don't want people to feel insulted because somebody's trying to insult them to realize that Luddites are, are actually pretty cool. But anyway, the point being that, no, I tell people this for years and years and years, I've never been anti-technology and anti-technological advance, but what gets done with it and who gets their hands on it and takes it away from others and uses it for nefarious things it's, and it's like it's not like are you using the tools or are the tools using you and if yeah. the tools are using you who's that behind the tools and what do they want to get out of it in terms of not just money but thought control and power so the tools using us that's what a people are so afraid of with AI. But this is already happening. I agree. In the, in the scenarios that we should be afraid of, Skynet, 
I'm not afraid of Skynet. I'm not afraid. Skynet is the Terminator, is right? Those Terminator movies. Skynet was the computer super program that created those robot, the Arnold Schwarzenegger robot that goes around and murders people. That's not going to happen. There's, there is potential in these systems to do incredible damage if they're misapplied to specific physical technologies. So I do worry about autonomous weapon systems, right? And I worry about them mostly because there's not a lot of safeguards to prevent nation states from developing autonomous weapon systems. We already have them, don't we? And don't the Chinese and, well, the, and the Russians there are, too? There are, there, there's drones in the Ukraine battlefield right now that are semi-autonomous. But an autonomous system would be one that doesn't take any feedback from a human being in order to make a decision. Oh, so oh, so oh, here's, here's, the, okay. here's the scenario that I worry about a little bit. And I, I don't worry about it too much for reasons that we'll come to. But something a little bit troublesome. You can imagine there's you have these submarines going around the ocean depths. To build a submarine to have 100 men inside of it and keep those men and women from being crushed by the pressure of the ocean and dying in it, you have to put a lot of technology and engineering behind it. If you wanted to make this a lot easier for yourself and a lot cheaper, you take the human beings out of it. And you just put those submarines under the water where they can't be found, and you'd have those weapon systems on them, riding in them autonomously. And they would respond to an attack on a preset series of values and variables, and then they would launch their systems. Because it's going to be a lot cheaper to have a submar- an autonomous submarine trolling the worlds with a bunch of nuclear weapons on it than it is to have a submarine filled with human beings in it. A lot cheaper. You, you don't have to worry about oxygen, food, pressure. You just build these tubes that have missiles in them and has computer code in it and a brain in it. And it says, the brain says, if you get this set of signals, launch your weapons. Now, if those signals are wrong, you're fucked. Right. Right. right? So that's a scenario that's kind of scary. Another scenario that's really scary they're using there's they're already using artificial intelligence to look at protein folds and um, genetic genetic engineering. So you know you know about some of the DNA sequencing stuff, the CRISPR technology that's allowing people to use stem cells to make real advances in all sorts of pharmaceuticals and therapies that are helping people, especially with genetically based illnesses. You know, not everybody here knows exactly what. Well, it's I don't know that much about it either. What I know about it is it seems to be this method that allows you to do a lot of high scale genetic engineering and you can develop medicines and therapies out of that that have heretofore not been possible. But you can also use these these AI systems. There's always going in if there's, you know, something you want to change about your unborn child, you can use CRISPR technology to do uh, it. I don't know you? if that's possible today, but I, I, I'm sure it's within the horizon of possibility. Have they done it with animals? Mm. I thought they had. I read some shit about they're going to bring the mammoth back, the woolly mammoth. I don't know. So the thing <laughs> that worries me about these AI systems, the first thing that you need to know about the AI systems that exist today is they are fucking huge. You, you've heard the term LLM, large language model. What, what a large language model is, that, that algebra tutor that I worked on at Carnegie Learning, basically a, a lot of these input operations, so you have an input variable and then you have an output, usually it'll go through a couple of steps. They'll say, is this true or is this false? And then based upon those true-false vectors, it'll route the output a specific way. In the old days, we called them decision trees. Right, you would make a decision on the basis of some inputs. What machine learning and AI is are very, very complicated versions of that. So they will they'll be they'll literally be decision trees that have billions of inputs. What those inputs do is instead of just passing a binary decision, yes or no, what they do is they wait to quantify the likelihood that something is true, and then they take probability analysis. And they decide whether that thing is true. And then they basically open a path to the next step as a consequence of that probability. And so there are these huge chains, huge chains of relationships that are put together by these systems to come to come up with an outcome, right? Well, this requires enormous computing power. So there's this one researcher in the Netherlands that estimates that the energy requirements of large language models next year 
will be more than the energy requirements of Ireland. All of this is built on probabilistic logic, which was developed during the Manhattan Project to estimate the movement of neutrons and electrons in an atomic reaction. So a lot of the probabilistic algorithms and the probabilistic math theory that is underpins all of this was developed as part of the atomic bomb project. In its incept, it's gone a long way from there. And we're talking about how much actual power, electrical power, it will take to run all this and make it work, right? Kind of like, you know, one of the dark sides of Bitcoin is just how much power it takes to, as they put it, mine Bitcoins to the point where they've been reopening shuttered power plants in Texas just to make enough energy to mine more Bitcoin. And if I'm not mistaken, these yeah. are coal plants that they opened back up again or something. That, that, so, that, so it sounds to me like what you're saying is that if we go hog wild with AI on a far greater scale than Bitcoin, the amount of juice required to do it all might be beyond human technological capabilities unless we put pedal to the metal and spew out so much more power and so much more coal and so much more this and so much more that, that well, it's, it kills it's, us. It's a huge problem. That's a subtle way of putting it. it. It is because the other thing is, the other thing, another reason not to worry about AI is the output for all of that energy expenditure is in a lot of ways very underwhelming. Okay, so... Each large language model, on average, requires the energy consumption of 10 times of an average household. That's one estimate, right? So what do you get for that? You get a machine that can generate a picture of a cat. That's not a lot of value add for the amount of input and cost. So some people who are looking at AI right now, and OpenAI in particular, OpenAI is spending a million dollars a day, a million dollars a day, in order to generate the chat GPT, which is, you know, one of the state of the art programs here. What do you get for that? You get, you know, a system that can write an essay for you, maybe. Although if, if you've tried it, any anybody who's tried it, you're, it's a little bit underwhelming. It's, it's Sometimes it's pretty great. It's not, the cost benefit here is misaligned. And one of the, one of the things that you're seeing now is a lot of skepticism applied to the economics here because the energy costs are extraordinary. Also, the silicon wafers that process this are very specialized. So uh, you have a, a, a graphics processing unit, a GPU. It's a type of silicon chip that allows for parallel processing. It means you can run multiple operations on a single chip. And that's one of the reasons that even though you've had recommendation engines and search engines and you know algorithms that do machine-like, machine learning-like and AI-like stuff going all the way back to when I started at Microsoft, they, they never really took off until recently because the hardware, that silic, that GPU chip didn't really exist until like 10 years ago. The silicon chip, the hardware that sits on the chip, the infrastructure that allows you to manage that. One thing that people who aren't in the business don't realize is it's actually very hard to set these systems up. They are not easy to manage. When you set up a machine learning system, one of the hardest pieces of pieces of it is people are going to use the machine learning outputs, but at the whole, at the same time, you have to process a whole bunch of input data, massage it, chew it up, categorize it, and make it available to be used in the next iteration at exactly the same time that it's being used. And managing that data stream is extremely difficult. So this isn't something people build in their basements. Um, the these These are huge engineering projects. They're like they're equivalent to building, you know, bridges across the Atlantic. They are gigantic engineering projects. They can't be done by just anybody. Now, will that change in the future? It's possible. Like Google, just this week, Google introduced a much smaller version of a large language model. You know, it could change and you could get guys in their basement basically creating, you know, AI that could destroy humanity. But I don't, I don't see it. The, the, the way that this is not easy to do. It's really hard to do. So it's not going to be done by just anybody. It is equivalent to the Manhattan Project. It is equivalent to building an atomic weapon. It is not easy to build an atomic weapon, and it's not easy to build AI. But um... the things that people are worried about, Biafra, and you're worried about it too, 
have nothing to do with AI. They have everything to do with capitalism. Explain. So Elon Musk decides that he's going to build his own AI system, Grok, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be the AI for the non woke folks, right? So we're going to use the N word in my AI system because I don't care because you're you're freaking woke and you're a snowflake. So my AI will cuss and my AI will disparage women and gays, and that's fine because that's what my system. Now, when you set up a system like that, garbage in, garbage out. It has the, it does have the capacity to contaminate a lot of stuff. He's already having a problem with it because the system itself, because it's taking inputs from all over the world, isn't giving him the output that it wants. Like his AI is more polite than he is because it's being it's being compiled from all sorts of things. So he can't get Grok to work the, the way that he wants. He wants a non-politically correct AI system, but it keeps becoming politically correct because the vast majority of people in the world are just not the type of asshole that Elon Musk is, right? And so he can't get it to work that way. But if you continue to try and create systems like this that are designed to do really heinous things for people who are enmeshed in systems of oppression, uh, you, you do have the potential to create some really bad outcomes. Like I said, the autonomous weapon system, you know, the U.S. and the Chinese can pledge, I will never put nuclear weapons on an autonomous submarine. But really? Really? Because the North Koreans may do it. So these, these, the incentives here that people have to use these systems are what's terrifying. And the incentives that these people have to use these systems today in the service of capitalism, which is designed to like strip mine you of your assets and your wealth and your attention, that strip mining could only be advanced by these systems, has the potential to be advanced at, at an even more nth state. And that's really what you don't want. You know, this thing about the other thing to worry about is we're already being programmed by social media to respond. This this whole, the last 10 years where we've seen old guys like you and me who were never very polite in the first place are astonished at how rude people are, <laughs> right? Like, like when you're concerned about civility and I'm concerned about civility, there's a problem because we weren't super civil people, like, you know? You can't blame that on Trump. It goes at least as far back as... Newtsy Gingrich, yeah. and probably farther back than that, because look who was working in the Nixon and Reagan White Houses and what they did with their knowledge of how to use power and mess with people's heads later. People like Dick Cheney and Carl Rove and Lee Atwater and the rest of them, which then, you know, how far back do you go where, you know, the, where the end justifies the means? I mean, there's a lot of that can be pointed at LBJ, too, but the modern form, a lot of people credit Newt Gingrich, and nobody credits himself credits him more than Newtsy himself does when he wants somebody to pay attention to him again yep. and stuff. But it's just gotten, you know, they oh, people in the House of Representatives can't talk to each other anymore. Well, that's not just Trump and the creatures he helped spawn. It was the other people who wanted to create more of those creatures to where Trump was just a means for, to an end. And, uh, you know, who is it? Uh, Leonard Leo now got how much? $150 million to spend or even a, over a billion to spend on creating more fascist court judges. Yeah. And there's another group. Oh, it's APAC. It's that is, you know, that 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 what used to be a support Israel, you know, political pressure group and whatnot that presidents even go to their conventions that's now rah rah netanyahu and if you criticize us in any way or him you're an anti-semite or a self-hating jew have announced they're going to spend a hundred million dollars in 2024 to take down the squad yeah you know ocasio cortez and elon omar premier jailapel and uh in massachusetts and jamal bowman and the others who are now part of it too they're going to spend that much money just to fund primary opponents in the Democratic Party to take them down. So one, one, one way you can see AI playing into this negative dynamic, AI allows you to hyper-target the entire population for political messaging, right? And AI would allow any surveillance system that you put in place to be very, very effective. So another nightmare scenario for us with AI is because you can parse literally billions, not even billions, petabytes, terabytes 
billions of billions, hundreds of billions of bits of data uh, with these systems, your ability to effectively police everything is exponentially higher. So Peter Thiel, who you mentioned earlier, he created a company called Palantir. And Palantir is one of the biggest provider of security services to governments around the world, the United States government, the Israeli government, they all make use of Palantir. And Palantir is basically deep scale, large scale data mining in the service of governments. So the, the problem with these systems, not, not, they're not sentient. They're just s- systems that allow you to process billions of data, classify it easily and bring stuff to people's attention. In the hands of a malicious actor who wants to effect, create an effective police state, they become very powerful tools to that end. You know, the, the rub on, on, we know now as a historian, we know now that. How would those tools work to that end? What exactly would they do to accomplish that? So they work, so they work, a, couple, they work a couple of different ways. So one way is you say, I want to find everybody that matches this type of person that I think is a danger to my system. And then you spin it up and you say, give me a graph of everybody that matches this profile. And then you put them under surveillance. The other way to do it is to say, watch what everybody's doing. And anytime you see somebody doing something that creates a class of behaviors, call it that class, bring it to my attention, and we'll decide whether that that class of behaviors is dangerous or not. And then everybody in that class of behaviors becomes blacklisted or watched. Canceled. You know, in in China right now, they have this uh, doxed for doxed. Well, doxed is where you use these you use the internet to basically reveal somebody's real identity in the physical world, whether they want to be known or not, and, right? and their home address and things like that. Yeah. But the reason I brought that is this this form of you know canceling or cutting out certain things you don't want. You know, another way to help do that, of course, is not just violence, but the mere threat of violence. Yeah. And another way to do it is you you get, you know, you can go on OpenAI or whatever, and they've got enough of, say, uh, President Biden's voice, make me a quote, and it could just be radio or whatever, where he sounds completely and utterly senile and can't finish a sentence and doesn't know what he's talking about, then give it to Fox News or any number of um, podcasters or the you know sub Joe Rogan types or whatever else and claim it's a real thing. I mean, the one they did, the visual one of Nancy Pelosi just completely losing it like somebody who's seriously suffering from Alzheimer's, it got exposed really quick because it wasn't done that well. Right. Very few people believed it. And a lot of places where they could have shown it to get people to believe it wouldn't show it for that reason without prefacing it first. But you can do that to all kinds of people, big and small, including if you're somebody out there who just happens to be mad at Vic Bondi or happens to be mad at Jello Biafra and get something said that might provoke somebody else to actually want to physically attack you. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sh- this, is, this is happening. It has, it's not like this hasn't happened already. Right. It's not. But the technology here isn't the root of the issue. It's the way the technology is used by specific people. Right. Like. Yeah. Um, and that's that's the problem. And that has proven almost impossible to control, even if our spineless people who actually care about it up top wanted to control it. Well, I, th- I think a lot of the people up top don't even understand it. See, that's the thing. Right. You know, that's what's scary about somebody like Peter Thiel. He actually does know how the tech works. So what he's saying is, I'm going to build a massive surveillance infrastructure for any government that wants to buy it. And he doesn't care about the ends. You know, how how, how does Palantir relate to or is it similar to Pegasus? I think Pegasus is one of their programs, right? OK. Yeah. Because it sounds awfully similar. Yeah. So, I mean. So large language models, large scale data storage like this, they have the, they have that potential. I mean, that's a lot scarier than Skynet. The the AI, you know, a, a lot of the hype around AI in the last year has been this worry that this alarm that there'll be the super intelligence that's created that will, you know, wipe humanity out. That's not going to happen. The way these systems work, the way they're built, their expense, their complexity it's not going to happen. 
what might happen, it's possible these systems may arrive at some degree of sentience that's analogous to something like a crow or a dolphin, and maybe we wouldn't understand it, but I don't, there's no, I don't, do you remember there was this movie Colossus, the Forbin Project? I loved it. It was like, this is the voice of world control. It's it's great, right? <laughs> this shit isn't going to happen. This is science fiction. A lot of the people that build these systems, they're they're programmers. They they read too much science fiction. They think that's the issue. That's not the issue. The issue is I I have the means and the ability to create a hyper surveillance state that's never existed in human history. The Nazis could not field a policeman for every citizen, but Peter Thiel can, and that's the problem. What? do we do to put a stop to it or can we well one thing is to make sure that uh, one thing is to make sure that the tech is never aggrandized in any single person's hands so i mean there's there's so many things wrong with microsoft and google again we'd have to do another episode on my life in corporate america and we can have a real frank conversation about what what corporations what their incentives and their motives and their outputs are but like I feel more comfortable in a world where there are multiple players that have this tech than where there's one. I feel less comfortable in a world where nation states all have access to this tech and none of them, they're all in effective nation state competition. That's what I mean. Like that submarine, that submarine scenario is really scary because North Korea doesn't have a lot of money. So do they field a nuclear submarine? uh, I mean, a nuclear platform submarine, autonomous nuclear platform submarine? And do they fuck up the algorithms and the thing launches a missile? That's a pretty scary scenario. Do we do, do we do, we use large language models to introspect various permutations of genetic testing and outcomes and develop a super virus and boom, you know, boom, before you know it. Do you think that's all technologically possible now or not? Well, I don't know the biology. I mean, and the, and the tech, the tech is certainly advanced and the tech allows you to do computer modeling on very large scales. Like I said before, it's hard to do. And and that difficulty is kind of a good thing, man. Well, nevertheless, the more, you know, here and now applicable things, the ones that are scaring me the most, um, we have seen already with the horrific stuff that Hamas has done, followed by Netanyahu and his extreme right-wing allies he's in coalition with, have done in response, which is just completely inexcusable and reeks of actual attempts at genocide on both sides, Mm -hmm. war crimes on both sides. But there's also been videos going around, going viral with certain people, another goes viral with with another group of people. And of course, you don't even need to create much of it. People in Hamas really are slashing people's throats, beheading people, killing children, raping people, this, that, and the other. And now Israeli soldiers are getting accused of doing almost all those things inside Gaza. And, oh, here, here, here's a video proof of it. And then the other side, of course, gets more enraged and wants more violent revenge, even if they have to do it by shooting three Palestinian students in Burlington, Vermont, who were visiting the town. This then oh. some some of this stuff, false information from Photoshop, just outright lying and everything else. And now to be able to create more and more authentic looking bits of video footage showing horrible things being done to motivate people who watch that to want to go out and do whole horrible things to the supposed other, the enemy. That's one of the things that's scaring the shit out of me at this point. Well, there's some, oh, so, so, so here's some, here's some optimism for you. All right. So first of all, there's one thing that would help a lot here is if we could get some sort of international agreements to allow um, misinformation researchers to conduct a lot of work. So up here at the University of Washington, Kate Starbird, who used to be a big shot in the, in the WNBA, she has a, right. she has a doctorate and she has this marvelous group up here that does um, disinformation, misinformation research. Uh, and she's been fighting with Elon Musk because he doesn't want to give her access to her corpus, his corpus, his, his data, so right. that she can do this. Right. But like people like that are going to really help out a lot in helping identify this, these malicious activities. Organized bullshit detector groups. But the other thing is... All they like, need is more funding. <laughs> so the other thing, though, is you're underestimating how much this becomes 
how much this will become a victim of its own success. Already, I would say like every time I see anything on the internet now, I'm like, I don't believe it. I don't believe any of it. I don't believe it until I see it verified by a bunch of different sources. Like, I just don't believe it. Like people have been, there's so much bullshit and fraud now that's going through the, the web, not just social media, but your email is filled with spam and bullshit. And everybody, everybody at a certain level, my mom, who's not technologically advanced at all. She's like, I don't believe anything anymore. I don't believe it. Right? Well, that, that right there, okay, I got to interject. That right there is what to me is not a silver lining of all this is because the people behind Trump amok and the MAGA maggots and everything else who want people to be as stupid and violent as possible, cutting school budgets can help in that regard too. They want to flood people with so much reactionary information. Disinformation doesn't matter. Just flood people with so much stuff that they fit, they don't know what's true anymore. So they just believe nothing. And they're more likely to be more easily manipulated, used. They'll both give up and spend more time at home on the internet or whatever. But, um, you know, more internet porn, if you want, maybe AI generated stuff there too. But, um, they, uh, the, the more people are isolated like that and they turn to that, a lot of times, even whether they know it or not, they get more and more angry too. Yeah. But, but basically just when people give up and they don't believe anything anymore, that I think, you know, that kind of, shall we say, militant apathy is a real danger. And I think some of the people on the far right and some of the tech people included would love to have more of this. You know, the people who believe Donald in Donald Trump have given up believing on anything else, and they're desperate. They are desperate. Well, I, I don't know how desperate they. I, sometimes I don't. Sometimes I think we have in our minds that everybody that buys Donald Trump is at the bottom of the socioeconomic ladder and has not done very well in life, and they're filled with fear and regret. I don't actually think that's right. I think it's all these these people in these McMansions. These are like. These are operational managers and loading dock managers and accountants that are back in Trump in the McMansions in these exurbs. They actually have them. I have I have family in Fresno, California. They back Trump and they're not doing bad at all, right? They're just they're just fucked up. They have some fucked up values and that's why they're back in Trump. They wouldn't back them except they're fucked up values, right? So I don't know I don't know how much of this stems from because I, I feel like a lot of this is we know that we don't really deserve what we have and we're going to try and keep it. And this motherfucker will help us keep it. That's their fear. Right. Right. But like digital castles and moats, you know, how long I've ranted and raved about new feudalism. Oh, yes, I do. <laughs> I should have played on that. We're, in a few, we're not in capitalism anymore at all. You say, yeah, the problem is capitalism. The problem is feudalism. By the way, you know, the way that you write music, you could use Google LLM, the Google automated piece. You could just like hum into it, hum in an input, Biafra, and you'll get an output. Maybe. I mean, I I usually have enough stuff. You know how damn slow I work and things. Someday there will be more Guantanamo School of Medicine, but other derailments in my life have that still on indefinite postponement, not hiatus, but derailment, shall we say. But you know me, I'll sing it into my trusty Sony Walkman. I like cassettes. I like doing it this way. You know, having to digitize all the different idea tapes I have would take a year because it would have to be done in real time. Waste of time. It works better this way. Anyway, every time I get an idea, I'll put it on different ones where it might fit. And then it's finally time and I've got to match topically and need to re-edit down all these other bits of lyrics that are all in different meters to make it work and all the horrible things and heartbreaking layer on the cutting room floor. And then sometimes that happens with the music too. I've got way more too, too many cool parts for this thing. Which ones should I actually use before the song gets too goddamn long and loses itself, goes out of groove or whatever. I don't know, maybe OpenAI, ChatGPT, or the one you're talking about with Microsoft, it might fix that. But I don't I don't want a robot's parts for my stuff. I have my parts. 
We're going to get you. I've got way too many that I'll ever be able to use in my lifetime. We're getting you a robot assistant that's going to help you write all your songs, dude. I would rather get a robot assistant to help me with everything else, like having me figure out what to do about, you know, improving my home and car insurance in a more affordable and more covering way. Or what about, oh, you no, know. That, that is, that's coming, actually. So. <laughs> That will come. That You'll see that in the next two years, these kind of like uh, resource optimizers. So you'll send your bot out on the web. He'll find you the best insurance, the best deals, and bring it back yeah. to you. Oh, there's stuff that can do that now. I just don't even have the grasp of how to do that or whether or not to believe it. I mean, we all believe what we want to believe at the end of the day. And that's why you double check reports you see on the net to see other sources before you decide well, do you really want to believe this stuff? I mean, the Jello Biafra died stuff has died down in the past 10 plus years. And it doesn't always go go viral like the early days of the internet. I kept looking for bullet holes. And I couldn't find them when I was in the shower. And I, you know, one got so real to people and spread around it word of mouth at a Gilman Street show that I got, you know, somebody who worked at AT called me and clearly in the concern in their voice was, please call me back. We hear you're dead. And the singer for the Fleshies thought I was dead and whatnot. Like, oh, by the way, guys, I'm not dead. Just, uh, just some other thing somebody made up and then somebody else was dumb enough to believe it before double checking it. But back to the dangers of um, OpenAI and ChatGPT and these other ones going too goddamn far and really hurting people really, really bad on a personal way. We're not just talking about elections and going after people who are simply supervising elections and threatening them like Giuliani was doing and stuff like that. But again, it goes back to some of the most tech-savvy people who figure this out stuff quicker than anybody, namely teenagers or people overgrown teenagers who've had so much of, of this gotcha stuff and snipping and snapping at people, maybe not using their own name, that they think like that as 25 or 30-year-olds. But go back to teenagers and or people a little older than you have, you have a daughter you dearly want whose life you dearly want to you want to have a good, happy life. She's probably too strong to fall for this anyway. But, you know, go back to high school again. It's a high school example. You get a picture of somebody, especially a girl, you really want to hurt. And then not just photo, but video shop or face or something, especially if you've got body movements from some family picture, something else that they're doing, then get the AI going to turn that back into a porno. Well, that's that's already yeah. happened. That's already yeah. Happened. And and then and then send that out to your f- lovely little Facebook friends at school. So by mid morning, somebody is absolutely crushed. I mean, there was a suicide in Silicon Valley a few years ago where somebody did, of course, drug another student who's kind of new to the hard partying scene. She passed out, and they took phone videos of each other raping her sent them around so they were all over the school the next day and she killed herself yeah well did, i mean I, I being able to use ai to do that too makes this exponentially more dangerous and possibly to happen i see i i don't know if it does right like my attitude so this this business with young men being really fucked up and in their attitudes towards women I think has been exacerbated and made much. Well, this worse. could be done by rival women or rival men on another guy too. Well, yeah, I know, but like right now, especially as a father of a young woman, Cyberbullying. I mean, the, this toxic masculinity shit gets. I mean, Elon Musk has taken Twitter and just turned it to like a a toilet bowl filled with toxic masculinity. So, what do you do about that? Well, I mean. Andrew Tate should be arrested and go to jail for sex trafficking. And the kids that did the rape need to go to jail for rape. And Giuliani needs to go to jail for uh, election interference. Like to some extent, my attitude on this is when people do bad things with tech, you treat them just the way that you would if people do bad things without tech, because it's the bad thing that they do that matters, not the tech that they use. Does tech make it quantifiably better or exponentially worse? Uh, I don't know, man. Like they used to lynch people, right? So uh, the scale of evil, it seems pretty even to me. There's still a lot of motherfucking evil in the world. 
I mean, it has it has this technological possibility. I do worry about the surveillance state. I do worry about autonomous weapon systems. I do worry about mistakes in biological engineering, right? Because the consequences there are really high. I don't think that because tech can augment all of those situations and make them worse than they are today, that you should stop working on the tech. Like, and you can't, it's not going to happen. You know, there's a, there's a fair amount of supervision. You, you, you have had in the past in human, human history, you've had conventions around toxic chemicals, poisonous gases, biological and chemical weapons that everybody have agreed to. So you can put those same kind of boundaries around AI development if you really want to. I don't think the way AI is going today that you actually need to do a lot of that. You do need to put some boundaries and laws around social media because that's the stuff that you've been talking about that has. Well, how do you do it, and how can you possibly enforce it? Well, you enforce you enforce it on outcomes, right? Like, so you, Instagram and Facebook have these horrible effects on young women and their their whole identity. Well, I mean, at a certain point, there's going to be a lawsuit on the suicide of a young woman, and you make those penalties that they have to pay for this to be really onerous. And they'll stop doing what they're doing. I mean, you you could argue easily, and people have, you shouldn't even give social media to kids who are under 18. Maybe we should do that. We should just fucking gate it like 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 porn and guns. You can only all be you gotta say, all you gotta do is click and say you're over 18 and you're back in. There's actually ways of doing it right where you could actually not do that. And then of course with that you get moms for liberty and vigilantes like that saying, okay, we have to gate all LGBTQ plus content. We have to gate all all history of racism in this country, make sure they're not exposed to that. That they're gonna get in there too. I mean, and you talk about uh, about the, uh, you know this is a, this autonomous is a, weapon autonomous weapon systems and stuff. This isn't um, the stuff that's killing teenage girls. The stuff that's te- killing teenage girls is I'm not rich enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I don't have the right clothes. I don't have the right cars. It's the same shit with boys. I'm not strong enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not competing the right way. I don't have the right car. It's all, it's, it's, these, it's this values bullshit. It's, it's watching the Kardashians 24-7. It's glorifying rich people and their bullshit lifestyle. This is the stuff that when it gets in the hands of social media is fucking poisonous. I mean, much more so than like fake Hamas videos of beheadings. That's the stuff that's killing us. It it all is in a way. So on that note, where we've run a little over two hours and you're starting to freeze up more, I hope you can hear me. Clearly, I mean, this the you, you sent this huge outline, a lot of which I couldn't even figure out to save my life, of what you wanted to talk about. And we uh, barely got to any of it. Plus, you would like to tell us more about your life in the corporate world in more detail. So hopefully, sooner rather than later, we will encounter more of you on Renegade Roundtable. So on that note, Vic Bondi, everybody, and stand up and give him some artificially generated applause, even if it's in your own mind, when you can create that all by yourself. Renegade Roundtable, over and out. All right, adios.